You know, I was a little bummed when I realized we weren't going to be able to celebrate Easter in the traditional sense this year. I mean, it's the biggest Sunday of the year. More people show up on Easter Sunday than any other Sunday of the year. So the room is full and there's all this extra energy in the room. There's excitement and enthusiasm in the singing. Communion is, is more powerful and special, taking it together on Easter Sunday. People are more engaged in the message. There's just, there's an energy on Easter that you can't recreate any other Sunday. And I love preaching to people who are excited about Jesus. So when I realized, you know, we're not gonna get to do that this Easter, not in the same sense, that was a little disheartening for me. I mean, it's just me and a camera this morning, and I'm at my house, and it's just you and your family, and you're at your house. And even if you tried to make Easter a little more special, even if you got up early and got the kids dressed and went outside and took Easter pictures, and they've been griping about it all morning, like, whose stupid idea was this to get dressed up and we're not going anywhere, like, like my kids have been doing? Uh, even if you did that, it still doesn't feel the same. It's just, it's not the same Easter, or is it? Mike Dawson reframed the whole thing for me. A couple of days ago, we were on a Zoom call together with Samaria pastors, and he said, you know, this year, we're going to observe Easter in the same way they observed the first Easter. I didn't really know what he was talking about when he first said that, but then he kind of explained it. He said, you know, the first Easter, there were no full church buildings. There was not even a church on the first Easter. So there, there was no mass gatherings. There were no Easter songs. There were no Easter sermons. There's no Easter bonnets. There's no you know, packed pews with special dinners planned after the services are over. None of that on the first Easter. Instead, there was a small group of disciples scattered around Jerusalem who were meeting in their homes. And they weren't celebrating. They were afraid. They were worried. They, they didn't know what the future held. The man that they had put their faith in as the Son of God had died on a Roman cross. So surely he couldn't be who he claimed to be. And they had no idea what was going to happen next. They were in fear for their own lives. They didn't gather in anticipation. They huddled in fear. They didn't wear smiles and bright clothing. They worried about their future. And they wondered what in the world was going to happen to their fledgling movement now that the one who they had supposed was the Messiah had died and was buried. The stories of what happened next are really powerful. Tim and Ebony both shared some of those at the beginning of our services this morning. But I love the one where the women mistake Jesus for the gardener at the tomb, or the one where Peter and John have a foot race to the tomb because the women come back and say the tomb is empty as the body is missing, so they race each other to the tomb, and when they get there, they find the linens folded, but Jesus is not there, and they wonder what in the world happened, or the one about the two disciples on the way to Emmaus who are talking amongst themselves about all the things that happened, and a third guy shows up who's Jesus, but they don't recognize, and they say to him depressingly, we had hoped that he was the one. But now that he's dead, he certainly can't be. Of course, you know the rest of the story, and you know what happened, but the story that's so powerful is John chapter 20, verse 19, the one Tim referenced in our communion. As I think about that in, 
in context of what we're going through with the present situation in our world. Here's where the disciples were on the first Easter, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them, and He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. The message of the first Easter was, Peace be with you. Because the one you thought had died is now risen. Jesus then said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. They were huddled behind locked doors in fear and confusion, but when the risen Jesus appeared among them, they were overjoyed. And when Jesus gave them His Spirit, they were compelled to go into all the world and share what they had seen and heard with everybody they encountered. And that's exactly what they did next. What happened next in this story is incredible. It's told in the book of Acts. It's the very next book after John, if you want to flip ahead and look through some of that. But it's the story of the early church. And it is an incredible story. A quick summary. This small Jewish sect of uneducated fishermen, despised tax tax collectors, and discredited women formed the genesis of a movement that would impact every country, every kingdom, every empire, every generation, and every culture from that point forward. Millions of people throughout history would become followers of the way and believers in the resurrection. That same disciple, the one who earlier had denied even knowing Jesus and had fled in fear, stood before thousands of people on the day of Pentecost and proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Peter's own word, he says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. That same disciple and the one that raced him to the tomb, John, were both arrested by the religious authorities and they were asked to explain their actions. And they replied, It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And the authorities couldn't silence them or stop them. And the church grew by thousands every day. One of the most ardent enemies of the Christian faith, a Jewish Pharisee by the name of Saul, who would later have his name changed to Paul, met the risen Christ on a Damascus road and he became the church's chief evangelist. To the Jews in Antioch, he preached, We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. To the Greeks in Athens, he preached, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And to the Roman governors, he preached, But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Every sermon recorded in the book of Acts, every testimony given in the book of Acts speaks of resurrection. It was the key event that propelled the church forward. Now remember, at this time, there was no Bible. 
There was no New Testament. There were no organized churches. There was no established creeds and doctrines. There was just one event that was so incredibly compelling that it changed the entire course of human history. A man had died and rose again. And now he was offering resurrection to anyone who would put their hope in him. The world would never be the same again. Now press pause on that story and fast forward 2,000 years to today's modern church. Today's church doesn't seem nearly as bold or dynamic as the first century church. The church is certainly not growing exponentially as it did in the first century. In most places, it's shrinking. People attend church less often. Um, people are not a part of faith um, more so than ever before in kind of maybe the history of the world since Jesus. Even those who do attend church regularly attend it less regularly than ever before. The church has lost a lot of its appeal, and it's happening to both progressive and conservative churches. In Andy Stanley's book, Irresistible, he writes that the modern church movement has made church more interesting, but fewer folks are actually interested. That the modern church movement has made church more attractive, but fewer people are actually attracted. And then he says, for years, conservative churches viewed the decline in mainline churches as evidence that you know, God blesses churches who remain faithful to their word, but even they're declining as well. It doesn't matter. Conservative or progressive, you know, what your worship style is, what the name of the church is, all churches are experiencing this decline. The Pew Research Group talks about it as the rise of the nuns. It's the number of people who mark none when asked their religious affiliation. And just a few years ago, it was a quarter of the population, and it's growing every day. So my question is really simple. When you consider the first story with the second story, what happened? Like What, what happened to the church? How could a movement that was so irresistible in the first century become so easily resistible in the 21st century? What are we missing? What, what did the first century Christians know that we don't? And, and what did they do that we don't? What made their faith so irresistible? How did they do it? You know, the church of the first century was by no means perfect. Oh, you can read the rest of the New Testament and figure that out pretty quick. But it was incredibly compelling and irresistible, whereas today's church is not. So what changed? I'll give you a hint. Not Jesus. Even in this post-Christian world, Jesus is just as compelling as ever. People are still attracted to His teaching, and they are inspired by His life. It's the church that they don't find attractive or is inspiring. And maybe it's because somewhere along the way, we missed the point. We complicated the faith and confused the simple message of Jesus. And maybe it's time we reclaimed that message. That's what this study is about. The one that we're starting today and continue next Sunday and go throughout the rest of April and probably March. And I hesitate to say this, but I believe it. I think it could be one of the most important studies that we've ever done as a church. 
I don't say that lightly because I know we've done a lot of important studies together, but this one just gets to the heart of what Christianity is about and what Christianity is not about. The Jesus movement that started immediately after the resurrection was so dynamic that few people could resist it. Thousands of people became Christians and followers of Jesus as a result of that movement. Through His death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus established a new covenant with His people, a covenant that included everyone, and a covenant that was far greater than the old covenant in the Old Testament. Through His teaching, Jesus established a new command, one that surpassed in importance every other command ever given in the law and the prophets. And he said, this command is more important. It's the most important thing you could do. Above all, this command defines your faith. That new covenant and that new command created a new movement that toppled both the religion of temples and the power of the empire. And that movement still has the power to topple religion and empire if we will simply proclaim the original message. So I want to invite you to join us. Starting next Sunday, we're going to dig into our Bibles and we're going to start looking for what was it about this first century church that was so compelling and so irresistible and what could have possibly changed in the years since that made it less so. And we're going to be studying what is this new covenant and what is this new command and what is this new approach and this new movement that Jesus ushered in immediately after his resurrection. So I want to encourage you to join us and to be with us next Sunday at 9.30. We'll be right here in the same spot, Facebook and YouTube. And I'd like as many people as, as possible to join us in this study. I had not planned on kicking it off in this way, in a virtual sense, but actually it gives more people the opportunity to join us rather than less people. So this is a great opportunity to invite folks into the things that we're going to be studying together as a church. And I also want to encourage you, if you've been watching up to this point and you're one of these folks that's just a little skeptical about all this stuff, I mean, we're talking about a man who was raised from the dead, and I understand it if people look at that with a little bit of cynicism or doubt and say, wait a minute, you know, the, the early disciples looked at it in the same way. It's why Jesus showed them his hands and feet. He, he had to show them physically that he was resurrected for them to believe. So, you know, if that's you... I want to encourage you over this next week to start exploring those claims of resurrection for yourself. I mean, it's every gospel talks about it at the end of the gospels. Uh, it's all through the book of Acts, as we talked about this morning. 1 Corinthians 15 is a good place to go. Every book of the New Testament talks about the resurrection. And maybe that's a clue as to what this new was that Jesus ushered in. So if you're still a skeptic, I would encourage you to check that out. You can message me or... Um, email me. I'd be happy to kind of step you through that or, or give you a few resources and some places that you could look. Uh, if you're already a believer in the resurrection, then I want you to start praying. I want you to start praying that this week uh, that we will understand what Jesus is calling us to do and who he's calling us to be and we'll start reclaiming the new that Jesus unleashed on the world when he was resurrected. We're going to leave the live stream up uh, for another two or three minutes here because we want you to have a chance to say goodbye. We want you to have a chance to have a little bit of fellowship at the end of the service today. So go ahead and jump on the comments and start doing that. Uh, wish each other happy Easter. I want to wish you a happy Easter. I hope that you have a great rest of the day. 
and I'm looking forward to seeing you again real soon.